0: This weekend, next week,
1: with Seventh day Adventist. And um, I know that uh, it was some of the points that we discussed last time. Some of you were thinking about leaving and going over to the Seventh day Adventist Church. At least it was. So now I have to really get back in. But what I want to talk about before we get into some of their false doctrines, and we're only going to touch on one of their false doctrines. Um, is reasons for questioning the Seventh-day Adventist doctrine. Um, and I say it that way because like I, like I mentioned, with the, with the previous points, it may sound like you should all go and become Seventh-day, Seventh-day Adventists because they're so close to the Bible, so close to us, so close to everything that we believe in, that there's not much difference between us. And there are some doctrinal similarities that we spent time talking about last time and they claim to use the same Bible as their authority, which I believe that they do, there are also some glaring mistakes that, that may cause and actually does cause um, a lot of people to completely disregard their claim of salvation by grace through faith alone and label them as a cult. Um, a lot of a lot of independent fundamental Baptist publications label them as a cult. And um, I think as with all denominations, there are different factions within the Seventh-day Adventist that um, may or may not be genuine Christians. I mean, I think there's a lot of people within Baptists Baptist that may or may not be genuine. There's a lot of people within all kinds of denominations that may yeah. or may not be. So depending on what they actually hold to within that denomination, I do believe that there's a large faction of that could be saved, and I do believe that there's a large faction of that are not saved, based on the doctrine. I think, honestly, it's, it's actually pretty confusing uh, what they write. Um, and I don't want to get ahead of myself because we're going to talk about that. Um, and, and I'm going to explain that to you, but make the decision for yourself by the time we get to the end of next week. Decide whether you think they're a cult or not. Um, I, I think, I don't know. I don't know. It's, I want you to make a decision. So I'm not going to say anything else about that. But one of the things that the Seventh day Adventist Church does uh, with most of those who write in warning against them is to claim that they're being misrepresented by those who are writing against and one of the things I was talking about, and this has been a few weeks ago now, when we finished up, was to read directly from the Seventh-day Adventist. I'm not, it's not a Bible, it's not a Bible, but it's called based, I, I have it written down in here somewhere else. I'll, I'll bring it up again. And it, but um, uh, oh, It's called Seventh-day Adventist Belief. And they just, just listed out all of their doctrines, everything that they believe. And in that book, they claim to believe salvation by grace through faith. And That is, you know, the fact that, that some sources uh, say that they're, that they're called, and then they say, well, you're misrepresenting us because you. A lot of different things that are that are written by them. Um. Everything that he did was by mail, so it was back and forth and kind of a slow process. But according to him, in response to his book, and he wrote the book, Seventh-day Adventists I Believe, contains hundreds of citations of exactly the same works and authors that he cites in his book. So he wrote this book called Avoiding the Snare of the Seventh-day Adventism. They kind of had an idea of who he was. wrote him a letter, and in response to his, his book that he wrote, and uh, I, I think it's more of a, of a large pamphlet than a book, but anyway, the vast majority of their footnotes in their volume cite Seventh-day Adventist publications prior to 1970, which is exactly what they were criticizing him about. You can't use older sources, you're misrepresenting us, and then a huge majority of the sources that they cite in their book, Seventh-day Adventist Believe, are pre-1970. So they're doing the exact same thing that they are saying that other people are doing to them, and misrepresenting them because they're using all the material. So a lot of the quotations that that David Cobb used in his in his publication are taken directly from Ellen G. White. To recognize that name from her own writings, um, they claim that that Ellen White was a was an inspired commentator. We'll talk a little bit more about that because. Us what is truth? We are not to receive the words of those who come with a message that contradicts the special points of our faith. That's a strong statement. Right. To say then that every that, that truth has been established by 1850, and that if somebody comes along, it comes along and tries to change those things, we are not to receive the words of those who come with a message that contradicts the special points of our faith. So how can you change anything within Adventism if She's saying that, and you're holding to her right. She wrote that. This same Adventist publication called The Spirit of Prophecy, Treasure Chest. But they list five colors of their faith: The second event, Sabbath worship, the third angel's message, investigative judgment, and the non-mortality, uh, non-immortality of the soul. We're going to talk about those, because those really, basically all five of those are false tenets of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. We're not going to get to all of those tonight, but I, I think it's it, it is kind of ridiculous for the Adventists to criticize David Cloud or anybody else that's writing up against them for using all the documents when they themselves are publicly admitting that they're using all the documents themselves and that the tenets of their faith were set up by 1850. So I, I think also, and, and I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to reference David Cloud's uh, article with so much in here, but the publication that he quotes in, in his study, in his little book booklet, which I will reference that point, are still in print and they're still distributed as Adventist doctrine. So, while well, you're misrepresenting us, you can't quote oh, that, that's old stuff. They still publish it, they still produce it. So, if you don't want people to use that to misrepresent you, right. if you don't believe that, then why are you still publishing it? Why are you still printing it? Right. And why are you still using it as an authority? Amen. It
0: right.
1: must be that you believe that. Right. Otherwise, you wouldn't be publishing it it. So... Um, they, they don't contain, in those publications, they don't contain any kind of disclaimer saying, well, this is all you know, this is, you know, this is, this may not reflect official Advent uh, Adventist belief. Uh, but they, if they don't want people judging the Bible books, then don't publish them in front them. So I think it's fair game. Here's David Claude's conclusion based on his extensive communication with the Seventh day Adventist Church and his research. He said this I repeat, the entire matter is a smokescreen. The Adventists are trying to veil some aspects of their doctrine and history in order to gain a wider hearing and to obtain proselytes while holding to the very things they're trying to make. Seventh-day Adventism has not changed its heart, but it is trying to put on a new face, And I think that's probably a pretty good analogy. Um, I'm not saying that I got sucked into it, but based on everything that they're trying to write about it, and I'm reading for their stuff, and I'm saying actually sounds really good. It sounds like somebody who believes in salvation by grace through faith alone. But we're going to look at some of their things, and, and, and that's what I'm saying. There may be a large number of people within the Seventh-day Adventist Church who do believe just that. But when you look at the broader scope of things, and when you get deeper into their doctrines and their publications and their writings and things like that, that's very much called into question. So, We've already looked at the roots of the Seventh-day Adventism. You didn't hear that uh, a few weeks ago, or you're, you know, you have an hard time remembering it because it was a while ago. You can go back and listen to it. Um, I know we got it it's on the website and everything else. You can go back and listen to the history of how Seventh-day Adventism got started. am not going to take the time to do that tonight. But what do, and, and I, I don't think you can call it anything other than strange roots, but what do those strange roots tell us about Adventism? Well, the Advent movement was unbiblical from its inception. Um, the Lord plainly warned against setting dates for his return. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 42, Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. Right? I had to turn to Mark chapter 13. Look at Mark chapter 13, and verse number 32. But of that day and that hour doeth no man, know not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father, Hey, watch and pray for you know not when the time is. Now I, I think every every religious movement, no matter how sincere and fervent, that has set dates for the coming of Jesus Christ, and there's been a lot of. We talked about some of them. Jesus Christ is coming back on this date, and then He doesn't come. Oh, we missed it. It's actually going to be this date. Oh, we missed it. It's actually going to be this date. Has done so in direct opposition to Jesus this morning. Yeah. If Jesus Christ Himself was not know when. How can anybody else predict when he's coming back? Right. And you remember that the entire Seventh day Adventist movement was built on and based upon William Miller's predictions of when Jesus Christ was going to come back. That's how it started. That's what Adventist mean. And when he was wrong and found out over and over that he was wrong, and then he died, Ellen G. White picked up on that and built an entire doctrine around that and wrote extensively about that. And they picked it up and with it. So the very foundation of what Seventh-day Adventism is built on is built on something that is entirely wrong to do. And, and wrong at the very least, sinful at the most. And I think sinful is, is probably what it can be um, described as. But William Miller was probably sincere in his desire to prepare people for the coming of Jesus Christ. But he was sincerely wrong. He was, he was deluded, and together with those who followed him, including those who later were Seventh-day Adventist, uh, this this doctrine of of Sabbath worship for the New Testament believers is is heresy and direct opposition to the New Testament. Turn with me to these passages if you can. I'm going to go through them fairly quickly. I'll try to give you a little bit of a heads up before we get there. But Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, verse number 16, says this let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of the holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. So those within the Advent movement who accepted this Sabbath keeping doctrine were being led a step further from the truth. And then so you, first you have the date setting error. Then you have the Sabbath error. Then you have the investigative judgment error. We, we spoke of that briefly and we'll talk about that more next week. Um, but it has no foundation in Scripture whatsoever, but it was accepted as, quote, light from heaven by many of those who are already deceived and, and, and straying and becoming these Adventists. So uh, then you have the divisions of Ellen G. White and others that were added to this heretical mix. Romans chapter 16, turn over there, Romans chapter 16, and verse number 17. Because to, to disobey Romans 16, 17 is a serious error. Often Leads to spiritual shipwreck. Right. Romans chapter 16 and verse 17 says this. Now we beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. That's a a serious warning to us and to to anybody else that would be considering getting into a new religion. Right? Anything that comes along today is going to be a doctrinal error. Anything that's new, and I say Because Christianity has been the same since Jesus Christ came and died on the cross and anything that comes along that tries to change what the Bible says about that is going to be new. It's going to be a false doctrine. It's going to be wrong. because He already gave us the truth. We already have the final authority. We have the word of God. Right. And even if you're trying to base that new movement on the word of God, it's going to be a false doctrine that we ought to mark and avoid. So the Adventists clearly ignored Bible teaching of the second covenant. Followed a movement that was based on doctrines contrary to the teaching. Nobody knows when Jesus Christ is going to come back. So, for you to jump off after a doctrine that is saying, This is when Jesus Christ is going to come back, should have been a red flag to you in the first place. Right. And then you had all these other things on top of that, and now you're moving further and further away from the truth. So, a a lot of them were led on to other more serious errors, and that's what culminated in the formation of the Seventh day Adventist movement. But when we find teaching in a religious movement that's contrary to the plain doctrines and Bible, we have to avoid that movement in obedience. Romans chapter 16 verse 17, stay away from it. So no matter how much supposed good is in the movement, The last day that was set by William Miller. Everybody else realized that Jesus Christ did not come back, but in those visions, a lot of these Adventists saw the leading hand of God. They called it the leading hand of God in answer to their bewilderment and in answer to their desperation. What do you think about it? How would you feel if you put everything behind Jesus Christ coming back on this day? You bought in hook line and sinker to this guy that was telling you this, and you believed it based on the Bible, based on prophecy. Based on everything else, and it didn't happen. And now you're saying, well, I mean, I was convinced. What happened? What's wrong? Now, what do we do? Ellen G. White comes along and says, it, it wasn't wrong. That's when Jesus went into the tabernacle of the heaven. Oh, now it makes perfect sense, right? And everybody, in desperation to not be so wrong, and in answer to their bewilderment, starts following up to the doctor. And that's what happened. So this teenage girl, she was only a teenager, was uh, was commanded, supposedly, by a revealing angel to proclaim this vision to other people. And, as she did, she started getting a following of these Adventists. And were not Seventh-day Adventists, they were just Adventists, Second Covenant and all that stuff. And, and she started being recognized as a prophetess of God. Now, Seventh-day Adventism was guided in its, its doctrine and its practice by this female voice, Ellen G. White, and they believed that she possessed the gift of prophecy and that she was an inspired commentator of scripture. Listen to this quotation from the from a Seventh-day Adventist publication called The Spirit of Prophecy Treasure Chest. I quoted it already, but they, they say this in there. Ellen Harmon married James White on August 3rd, 1846, became a Sabbath people soon after. Ellen Harmon is coming to be She got married. I think that was her third husband. Um, but she said, but, but they, they continue on. The whites had four children, all boys, and they worked together to establish the Adventist movement until James' death in October 1881. After James and Ellen would speak at the same meeting, often James and Ellen would speak at the same meeting. Ellen lived in labored for 34 years following James' death. Eleven of those years were spent in Europe and Australia helping establish the Seventh day Adventist movement in the Conference. Mrs. White was involved in an aggressive public speaking ministry. A much sought after public speaker, Ellen White was often invited to address those who attended important gatherings of the church. She reached her largest audiences. She met literally thousands of speaking appointments. Now, this is this comes from the Spirit of Prophecy treasure chest. I, I um, any of the quotes that I have, some, some didn't have room necessarily just attempt to make the word the maker to give you the, the exact place that you are coming from. I have all those listed. If you want them, you're more than welcome to have them, but this is an official Seventh-day Adventist publication that's distributed with an advanced correspondence course, which I told you I was going to reference some of these quotes. David Cobb took this advanced correspondence course because um, it's sent to the people that have more than just a casual interest in Seventh-day Adventist. And the people who, who are saying, I really like this, I want to know more. This is this is the stuff that they started send them when they get involved in that. So. Um, but that book, the Spirit of Prophecy Treasure Chest, is actually sold in Adventist books. You can find it today. Those books are still there. So, during that 70 years between 1844, when she started prophesying, in 1915, Ellen White supposedly received some 2,000 dreams and visions. 2,000. She wrote all of it down. She was she supposedly was commanded to write her visions to preserve them and commanded to write them down in fulfilling this charge, but she had, she had by the time she died, written over 100,000 handwritten manuscript pages. They published 34 books from those handwritten manuscripts. 100,000 pages of writing. Including those 2,000 pages and much, much commentary on the Bible and everything else. They base Seventh-day Adventism on those writings of Ellen well, we take the Bible as our authority. Yes, that's where they read from, but where they need clarification, they go back to Ellen G. White and get clarification from her and her commentary and her inspired writings and her inspired dreams and visions and all that stuff. So, to do the same thing. yeah, exactly, exactly. So, throughout her life, um, Ellen White and her denomination were God to find those visions. What she said was a vision from God they took as divine and they followed her visions. And, and she received those usually at night. But through those visions she was instructed concerning all kinds of different things, but the supposed divine origin of the adventure movement, investigative judgment, the importance of the Sabbath worship, the seventh day health movement, which we haven't talked about yet. By the way Nothing if they didn't have everything based on work. So since there are a lot of Bible reasons for believing that her
0: prophetic ministry was not of God,
1: and follows that the denomination founded upon that ministry was also not. Of God. And if it's not founded on God, then I don't know how you can say that it's true. We're going to look at we're going to look just a little bit more closely at that issue later. But let me get into it. I'm just going to talk about one thing tonight: is the wrong doctrine, and then what the Bible has to say about it. We know these for the most part, so going to be a short second. But here's the first thing. It's redefining the grace of salvation to include the works of the law. And that may sound like a like a a, a large statement to unpack, but essentially what it is is they say that salvation is by grace through faith alone. But if you go into exactly what they believe from Ellen G. White writings and everything else, they believe that the works of the law are also included in that which is where you get Sabbath-keeping as part of that. Sabbath-keeping is nothing more than adhering strictly to the law. And that's, that's what we're talking about. So, those who have studied this out far more in detail than I have have come to the conclusion that Seventh-day Adventism plays the same game in salvation as every other false And this is where I'll say that, that admittedly, I maybe was pulled into that a little bit. I am reading strictly from what they write then, if you get into more of what they're writing, what those who criticize them say about them makes sense. Right. So, they profess that they teach salvation by grace through faith, but they redefine that in a way that's contrary to the I'll explain that in just a minute. But they deny that. But the Adventist denomination teaches that salvation is by grace plus law, which so is faith plus works. Right. Its faith It's not faith alone, it's faith plus work. Right. And 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 I hope you'll understand that a little bit more. But Grace, according to this, this theology, is the power and the forgiveness of God that enables a sinner to keep the law and to by keeping the law have that holy character that will allow them to get in heaven. So, faith, keeping the faith, allows you to do the good works that allows you to be holy and allows you to get in heaven. So, it's a roundabout way of saying it but it is really salvation by works, by way of faith. Now, the Bible is very clear about, you know, salvation mean faith without works and everything else. That's just, it's not saying that you're doing those works to be saved or to stay saved. just saying that if you really are saved, your works are going to follow. right They say that it's your works that actually is what gets you to heaven. Faith is what allows you to do those good works. So... Um, in their words, he who fails to build a like character by God's grace will never see heaven. So faith and works are, are two cores by which the believers propel to glory. You cannot have one without the other, but you need the works to get to heaven. You need the faith to get to heaven. So you're essentially, you need both. We say you need faith alone, right? The just shall live by faith. Faith by grace. I mean, uh, 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 salvation by grace through faith. That's it. That's it. They add words into that. So it's important that we thoroughly document the Seventh-day Adventist doctrine of salvation. It's very subtle. And, and I'm going to give you, at, at the end here, I'm, we're going to end with five or six different quotations from their own books. I should make it very clear where they stand on that issue. But often in their literature that's produced for the general public, Seventh-day Adventists modify what they really believe. You see that with the Mormons. You see that with so many, with, with uh, the witnesses. They modify what they put out there. It sounds good. Then when you actually start getting into the doctrine and start realizing what they really really believe and what they really teach, You see the big difference in there. So I think it's very important that Christians be aware of the deceitfulness of, of the Seventh-day Adventists and any of these other organizations that do the exact same thing. But they're already able to be a chameleon to change what they, uh, you know, change their, their colors according to whatever environment they're dealing with. So, uh on the other hand, they try to appear Orthodox. And they say that we're just like you. We're Christians just like you. They, they claim to be persecuted. They claim to be misunderstood by other Christians because of their heresy. But on the other hand, then they, they promote all sorts of heretical teachings. And they speak boldly against the Orthodox Bible teachings. And when it comes to, we're going to talk about these, so I'm not going to give you enough. But um, they're trying to draw converts away from Bible-believing church. And they're not ashamed of it. So if they're trying to pull you away from that, what are they? What are they trying to pull you away from? And what are they trying to draw you to? It's got to be something different. Or well, they would. They would be saying, "Hey, we're all the same. Stay there. You're doing a great job. Keep believing. It. Right? There's something different about it. So it shouldn't surprise us. I, I gave you a list here because I don't want to take the time to turn to all these passages. But um, the New Testament. You the as that come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Matthew 24, deceive many. Second Corinthians 11, deceitful workers. Galatians 2, false brethren, unaware, brought in, who came in privily. Ephesians 4, unencraftedness. 1 Timothy uh, 4, seducing spirits. 1 Timothy 4, speaking lies and hypocrisy. 2 Timothy 3, who creep into houses. 2 Timothy 3, again, seducers, deceiving as being deceived. 2 Peter 2, faint words. 2 John, verse 7. Many deceivers are entered into the world. Dude, wars, certain men crept in unawares, revelation, two, seducers. All of those things describe those who are bringing in false doctrine. And there's, there's even more that talk about them that way, but that's what they are. They're, they're deceivers. Somebody who deceives you is not necessarily out and out lying to you, but they're telling you something that's just enough away from the truth that you fall for it, but it's not the truth. So consider carefully these, these statements about deceit. About salvation from the Seventh Day Adventist publication, and this is where we're going to end with. But they they profess to uphold salvation by grace through faith alone, but they actually redefine this contrary to what were given in the from the apostles and from the Word of God. So the result is a false gospel that that subtly mixes grace and law. These are s- strictly quotes from them. I I put capitalization on the um. On the parts that I wanted to emphasize. So, this is from a tract that comes from the Seventh-day Adventist Church deceptively titled Saved by Grace. Here's what it said. Christ says to every man in this world but he said to the rich young ruler, if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Matthew 19:17. In other words, and here's, here's, here's the statement, the standard for admission into heaven is a character built according to the ten specifications commandments of God's law. Meaning, you'll be admitted to heaven if you keep those ten commandments. He can lift you up to the place where the requirements of the law are met in you. See what's happening here. Very deceptive, but what they're saying is, he can get you to the point where you can keep those ten commandments. And by keeping those ten commandments, then you can get in heaven. The master builder will stand right with you Christ in us. So we have clearly outlined the steps that we need to take in order to become a Christian. Which, very clearly, they're adding baptism and salvation in the very least, And then, on top of baptism, you have to keep the law for salvation. To believe in God, to repent of, and to confess our sins, to be baptized and to obey all the commandments of the Lord. That's what you've got to do in order to become a Christian. He may stumble and fall, but he gets up and presses forward again, determined to overcome by like God's name a fail is not coming against him when he repents and has forgiveness and he might not deliver the, 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 the right life. But very, very clearly, keep the commandments, get baptized, do all these other things for suffering Here's another quote. This is a New Life Guide, and again, this is kind of their, uh, their correspondence course and some of their different quotes that they give to uh, new converts and so on. Before Christ comes a second time to take us to his Father's house in heaven above, we must allow him to come for sin in our life. Because... In this life we have chosen to accept these lovely graces of christ as our own the sudden transformation that jesus is appearing will steal our character only those who live in jesus life can be free from sin jesus counseled the rich men who was seeking into the life that thou enter enter the life the commandments so basically again saying the exact same thing you can say that it's by grace through faith alone but you're adding words into that salvation you have to keep God immortality to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. What shall be the reward? Eternal life. Upon those, upon what conditions may men obtain this blessing? Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Will the man's final destiny be in accordance with the life he has lived? Whatsoever men so it then shall he also reap. I'll end with this. Because this comes from one of L G. White's major works, which is uh, the great controversy of a large, large work, five, six hundred pages. But she says the following about salvation Every man's work passes in review before God and is registered for faithfulness or unfaithfulness. Opposite each name in the books of heaven is entered with terrible exactness every wrong word, every selfish act, every unfulfilled duty, every secret sin, with every artful dissembling. The law of God is the standard by which the is the lives of men will be tested in the judgment. Every name is mentioned. Every case closely investigated. Names are accepted. Names rejected. When any have sinned remaining upon the book of record, unrepented of and unforgiven, their name will be out of the book of life. Oh. The record of their good deeds will be erased from the book of God's remembrance. All who have truly repented of sin, by faith, in the blood of Christ, and their atoning sacrifice, have had pardon entered against their names in the book of heaven, as they have become partakers of the righteousness of Christ and are found to be in harmony with the law of God, their sins will be blotted out and they themselves will be accounted worthy of eternal life. Sins that have not been repented of and forsaken will not be pardoned and blotted out of the book of record, but will stand in witness against the sinner in the day of God. In other words, if you die having sinned and not repented of that sin, you are going to heaven. That is that is, again, at the very least, the opposite of eternal security. Um, once you're saved, you're always saved. But Adventism, like that doctrine, of salvation. Is, is grace that's foreign to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. So how does the true gospel of grace of um, Jesus Christ differ from the Epidemic, uh, Seventh-day Adventist gospel? Well, salvation is by grace alone and through faith alone. Without the works of the law in any sense whatsoever. Contrary to what the Adventists believe, contrary to their doctrine, grace and faith, law and works are not mutually sympathetic systems. They cannot be mixed. You cannot put those two things together and come up with the same thing. The good news of Christ is not that we're saved through a grace that produces the work of the law. That's what they say. The good news is that we're saved by God's grace alone through faith, but not the law. We don't need to keep the law to be saved. We don't need to be saved so that we can keep the law. We're going to fail. You know, we're going to make mistakes. We're, we're not going to be sinless. But everybody that's going to be saved has to come on those terms, trusting in the shed blood of Jesus Christ alone for the full salvation. Those who consistently and persistently put themselves under the Mosaic law, in spite of that New Testament teaching, are outside of the scripture. So, Seventh-day Adventists, who believe the doctrine of their own denomination, that's stated in all these different publications, L.G. White's writings, and everything else. And I'm saying, there might be some who don't take to those or hold to some of those older doctrines that are the foundations of Seventh-day Adventism. Uh, may be but I have to say that the majority of them, because they believe and are being trained and taught these exact doctrines, are not. They're, they're believing nothing but legalism. Salvation is secure upon conversion. true gospel of Jesus Christ offers perfect security. And only the true gospel of Jesus Christ is going to offer that security. Not that, not that basing it on the works of the law, not basing it on Well, I'm saved so that I can keep the law. none of Jesus Christ did away with the law. So that it is only by grace through faith. And that's it. Not by grace through faith so we can keep the law. By grace through faith so we can have good works. By grace through faith so that hopefully one day, someday, maybe, we might get to see Jesus face to faith. It's by grace through faith alone. And that's it. They add to it. And that is not salvation. Things that are different cannot be the same. Even though they sound close. Because they sound similar, they're not. not. Those who hold to that doctrine cannot be saved. We're going to get into some more of their doctrines, and we'll finish this up next week. But some of them are quite far out there. And uh, we hopefully not give you as good a taste in your mouth about them. I'm not trying to trash these other religions. That's not the point of what The point is to understand where they're coming from. We might be able to give them the true gospel. It's just trying to point out error where error needs to be pointed out, like Romans 16 17 says. Find the error, point it out, and then avoid it. That's what we have to do. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your goodness and thank you for the word of God. Thank you that we have the truth of the Bible. And God, I pray that you help us to follow it as closely as we know how, that we, as the Bible says, would rightly divide the word. God, I pray that you give us opportunities to win some of Jesus Christ because of our studies here. And we might be able to see many, many come to know you as their Savior. Because thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus. Amen.